Grab a seat, turn to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. Oh, great singing, uh, that is spot on. The King of Kings, I'm getting cranked up already. Um, Luke chapter 2, today we are talking about the new eternal place, the new eternal with God place. Uh, we're going to get there here in a little bit, but uh, let me remind you of this, places matter, Places matter. Uh, places matter because places tell stories. And, and we could say places tell stories about their owners for something that's owned, but places tell stories. For instance, uh, think in this of Plymouth Rock. I mean, Plymouth Rock tells a story. There's a whole story behind it. It's not just about a rock, okay? It's about with a story that's behind Plymouth Rock. You think of Gettysburg. If you've ever been to Gettysburg, my goodness, there is a story behind what happened there in Gettysburg. If you think of uh, where Martin Luther King uh, was shot, uh, there's a story at that place going on, a lot that tells about what's happened there. Let's bring it closer to home, literally. Your home, your apartment tells a story. And in fact, if we all went and went into your home right now, your home would be telling a story, right? Uh, with, with what your day's been like, maybe even. But your home tells a story of things. I would also say this building tells a story. The fact of just eight years ago, we were even like, would people even come to a theater and want to get together and uh, become a church family together? And this building has a whole story with it as well. Let's go biblical. Uh, the Garden of Eden tells a story, total story. When you think and you understand what took place there, the crossing of the Red Sea, that Red Sea crossing place, the promised land place, the temple place, all of those places tell stories. And of course, we could go all the way to the Gethsemane place, the Golgotha place, and the empty tomb place. Those places tell stories. And I'm hitting this because I want for us to remember that this time of the year where we're at, this time of year we are seeing a picture about a place almost every day. And this place matters, it really matters. And in fact, this place tells a grand story. And what I've done here today is, uh, you got Luke chapter two open, right? Uh, I've got a little friend who's gonna come and he's gonna uh, help us follow along here. He starts in verse eight. Would you just follow along with my little friend here? Doesn't matter how many times you hear that, is not that, that not the sweetest thing? But, but look, Luke chapter two, look at verse 11. There's a place. I'm not just talking about a manger place. I'm talking about a city place. You see it? Bethlehem. And by the way, do you see in the descriptive of it? It's not just Bethlehem. It is the city of what? Now, think about that. The Savior, the second person of the Trinity could have come and could he have been born in any place? Well, well in some ways, yes, but biblically to fulfill Scripture, no. But, but it's this place, the city of David place, of all the places on the earth at the time, the Savior is born in that specific place because that place not only has past uh, reality information to it, but it has information to it at that exact time. And now us in the future of that, that place, Bethlehem, the city of David, it matters. It tells a story. 
And where we're going today is I'm seeking to bring, as Nick had so well said, we're seeking to bring, because of this series and through the book of Revelation, we're seeking to bring the first advent and the second advent and even beyond all together here from our book of the Revelation. Knowing these places matters when you understand for real the place of Bethlehem, the city of David, and for real, Gethsemane and Golgotha and the empty tomb. And for real, the future new eternity place. Friends, all of those pieces help us to understand our now place today. They put a perspective on it, a picture on it, because now contains a story as well with it. Well, uh, you know, since uh, uh, last Easter, uh, this last Easter, we have been walking through the book of Revelation. Here you can see on the screen kind of where we've come from, and I want to point something out here. In our beginning, in chapters 4 and 5, we were in a place called the throne room, God's throne room. And I want to tell you, that place tells a story of all that's going on. By the way, we were also at a place here from really chapter six through into 19 here, the middle portion of the book of Revelation and and the seal and the trumpet and the bold judgments and the war that's just going on in all of this. This place tells a grand story. And remember I was saying how the end war, this part, the end war tells a story about our now war. Uh, We're here over in chapter 21, thank the Lord here, we're talking about the future time. And I want to say this, the end place that we see here in chapter 21, it tells us and helps us to understand about our now place. Places matter. So uh, a part of the big thing is, is, is God tells us about this place. So turn to Revelation 21. Revelation 21, that's where we're at, and uh, we are going to be working this through. You've got to hear about this place. You've got to hear about this place. And it's very intriguing and very interesting to me even how God tells us about this place. We'll get there in just a second. God, I would just pray as we dive into your word that, Lord, you would just show us more of who you are. Because ultimately, this is not about a physical, if you want to call it that, place. It is ultimately about with you. You are the pinnacle of eternity. And the reality is, you are the pinnacle of now. So I would ask in this, as we see this almost architecture going on, that would teach us more of who you are and what you have in store for those whose names are written in the book of life. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Revelation 21, we're going to be covering really the latter two-thirds, verse 9 through 27 today. It tells us these amazing, stunning details uh, about eternity here. And, and, and I want to say this, uh, uh, as I understand reading through this, this is not just some symbolic flowery talk 
I think the, the nature of the details of the conversation is, is in such detail that, that I think saying it other than this is actually what God is talking about here, I, I think this is real with what we're about to read and not just some symbolic picturing going on here with that. Also, I want to note here as we go through this, there are things in here that I can't fully put the pieces together. I just straight up can't. And I want to let you know I'm totally good with that. Because the God who owns it all and owns this place, he's got it all figured out. And he just gives us little glimpses in it, and, uh, and it's just kind of mind-blowing. The other thing I want to mention before we dive in is, is how we approach this. Because you have to remember this is a new eternity place. Okay, okay. And, and what I mean by that is you need to put aside present world kind of parameters of life. I'm talking about things like a present physics, present chemistry, present biology, present metallurgy, present architecture requirements, laws of earthbound gravity and space, and even some present spiritual realities as we know them. Instead, what's going on in Revelation 21 and 22, all of the things that we have now in all this, this is old world. When we get to chapter 21 and 22, we are now entering new world conversation. And old world things don't drive new world things. And I say that because of this. Listen, the, the Savior that came, the second person of the Trinity that came in the city of David, born in Bethlehem, in a manger, Linus is exactly right <laughs> with all that. It, it's understanding this. He was the one that could redo earthly physics. He walked on water. He was also the one that can redo earthly chemistry. He changed water to wine. He is also the one that can redo how what we know of present state biology. He raised Lazarus from the dead. After three days of dead. We're talking dead, dead, dead. Okay? He conquered sin and death. Listen, the new world is something altogether new. And so I, I beg of you, as I've so worked hard, and it's so hard to do what I just said, as you go through this, and we just put physical parameters as we know it around, but this is a new place. It's the new eternal uh, world with the Lord. Okay, let, let's go. Here we go. Uh, chapter 21. Let's actually begin verse 1 and 2. Uh, then I saw uh, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, in other words, the old heaven and the old earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Let's talk about the city because the text now talks. Jump to verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me. Okay, got the picture? Uh, one of the angels from the bowls. Remember, the, uh, chapter 21 is not all alone, its own story. We've had chapter 20 before it, and 19 before it, and 18. What was before 18? 
17 and all the way to one, okay? This is a context. And in the bulls, there were the seven bulls and there were angels associated with it. Which one is this? I don't know. It's, it's, it's one of the angels associated with that. But, but he's back on the scene here. He's with John and he speaks to John and he says this, John, come, I will show you not tell you a story about, not help you make up in your own mind this little story, but I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Verse 10. And so he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And he showed me. Not told me about, not drew a picture of. He showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Oh, that's the one who's talking verse two. Coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. It's radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. So the angel carries John to a high mountain and he's gonna show him something off of this high mountain and John shows him a city. It's a city, it's a holy city, the text tells us. It's a, called a New Jerusalem city, really interesting. And so here's a couple of things. Uh, verse 2 and 10 says that the city is coming down out of heaven. By the way, a conversation you might want to have over lunch or think about, for those of you who really like digging into these things, the word for heaven here, in, the very, in verse 1 and then also uh, uh, later on here, it's Uranus. I just hacked that up in my Greek. I'm not great at the speaking of it. And so yet, it, that word there that's used is used throughout the book of Revelation. It's actually used, it can mean sky, like you look up into the Uranus and you see it up there and it's a sky or the, the, the galaxies, but uh, it's also used to refer to heaven, heaven. So uh, there's a question in this as you think this through is a new heaven, is that talking about the sky, the galaxies that's out? Because Revelation uses it to refer to this word saying that, that, uh, that, that uh, a fire came from this word that, um, uh, um, losing my mind, uh, hail, thank you, honey. Uh, that's my wife, by the way, if you're new here. Um, <laughs> hail is coming from this word, and I think it's clearly the idea of the sky in this, and yet also Revelation uses the exact same word to be referring to the very heaven, heaven, like the chapter four and five. And I just say this, coming down out of heaven, it could be coming from heaven, heaven, or it could just be coming from the sky. I'm gonna leave it there, have fun lunch. Okay, um, coming down out of heaven, verses two and 10, and honestly, I don't quite know the answer on that. Um, and that's okay. Um, it's a pondering thing. Verse 2 and 10. It's from God, though. We do know that. And that means that it's not man-made. Who's it from? It's from the Lord. It's from God. Uh, verse 11. It has the glory of God. With a radiance, with a brilliance like a, a rare jewel. It's not a jewel, but it's like Jewel. It's like jasper, the text tells us, which it says is, is clear as crystal. Jasper isn't always, in, in our metallurgy, or I'm sorry, jewelallurgy, isn't always referring to something that's perfectly clear, like a diamond that you could see through, but, but it, here in this place, it is. By the way, just already, can, you, can we agree that you've never been to a city like this city described? I've been to a lot of cities before and different countries before and seen some pretty cool places and I'm sure you have as well. 
but no city like this. No city that you'd walk away and go, oh my word, you're just flying into that city and it's like the glory of God. It would not be a descriptor, I don't think, being used, but there's some beautiful places out there. But this is a new city. It's a holy city. It's a Jerusalem city. It's a from God eternal city. It's a crazy, cool, crystal-like, radiating the brilliance of the glory of God place. Verse 12. And it had a great high wall, a wall, with 12 gates, and the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. Uh, One on the east, three gates. The, The north wall, three gates. The south wall had three gates. And on the west, three gates. We're given some more information here. There's a great high wall. How high? We don't know yet. Um, But it's great, and and it is high. And uh, it's associated with the new, holy, eternal Jerusalem city coming down out of heaven, having the glory of God radiating like a crazy, rare crystal. It's coming down. and Coming down to where? That's interesting. We're not told to where. Uh, We're not told if it lands anywhere. What does that mean? I don't know. It's just coming from heaven. And and what is that, the sky or heaven? Uh, Here we go. The, The great high wall, it has 12 gates. It has 12 gates with it, and the 12 gates have 12 angels, and and I am actually making an assumption here that that's referring to one angel on each of the gates, not 12 angels on each of the 12 gates, but I think that's what's being said there, but how cool is that? They're posted at the gates, and then the 12 gates with 12 angels have names posted on those gates. Verse 12, it says, posted with the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel inscribed. I'm picturing this kind of like Old Testament, the way God set things up around the tabernacle was the various tribes were to be in certain locations around the tabernacle and it was in the center of it. And here are these gates and they have these names of each tribe or however that works on these gates and these really high wall. Twelve tribes of Israel inscribed on them. This is really interesting. Have you already picked up already that in this city, it's called the New Jerusalem, and in this city, it's making reference to the twelve tribes of Israel? There's a lot of Old Testament uh, Israel reference going all the way back, uh, or actually going all the way ahead into the new city here. I'm just going to say, I don't think that that's symbolic. I think that's for real. And I'm also going to say that that also makes uh, this reference, and we got to be careful not to take it too far, but if this is the case that in this new eternal city, if, if, if this new Jerusalem city with these names of the 12 tribes of Israel on it, God remembers his redemptive work of the past. And he takes great glory of it into the future. How sweet is that? All is not lost now. God carries redemptive truth into the future. Exactly how that looks and what that is, I'm honestly not fully sure. But the fact that these names are on there, I think, tells something. Verse 14, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations. That's interesting. What do foundations do? Foundations mount something, secure something. 
But where is this city? Where are these walls mounted into? Right now we're not told anything. And anyway, there's 12 foundations. Not 9, not 10, not 8, but, but 12. And why 12? Because it says, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb, in case we're not sure which apostles. <laughs> They're the apostles of the Lamb. And and the names of those, and here we have the 12 tribes of Israel, and we have the, the 12 apostles. So, so Judah's going to be on the Probably not. Well, who's it going to be? I don't know. We'll let God take care of that. And, and so you have this memory back, the Old Testament, New Testament. I think this is pretty cool, by the way. Because God remembers. God remembers things that really matter and have to do with redemptive eternity. 12 gates the names of the 12 tribes, 12 foundations, with the names of the 12 apostles. Verse 15. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of balsa wood. Isn't that interesting? What does it say? Of what? Gold. Gold. Oh, listen, uh, the, everything that's used in God's eternity city is not like... Uh, uh, first service, Rick Alexander works at Walmart, was here. If all those who work at Walmart or Target. It's not bought at Walmart or Target or Meyer. Okay, it's not that. It's gold here. And it just, I'm saying it's a little things like that that add to, to what I think culminates here in just a little bit. It's a measuring rod of what? Of gold to measure. That's interesting. It's a measuring rod to measure the city. Why would we want to measure the city? Who cares? I don't know. He's going to. The city, and not only the city, but its gates and its walls. Why do this? Because God chose to. Because God has chosen to give us more information, and I think this is why this really matters. Verse 16. So he measures. It's kind of like almost maybe from the mountain, now we're down. He's going, measure, 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 measure. <laughs> and here we go, verse 16. Here we find out the city lies four square. Its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, its 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. Well, so far we, we knew that it had to be some kind of squarish or rectangular shape because it has a north, south, east, and a west, and you can't do a triangle that way. You can't do a circle that way. You can't do an octagon that way. So it probably had four sides to it because of the earlier description. Now we're told even more. It's four square. In, in other words, it's, it's as a square. It's equidistant in wink, wink, width and length uh, with it. And it also, notice, it has a height. Who measures the height of a city? Have you ever thought about that? But this one does. Let me tell you about how big our city is. It's this miles by this miles. Oh yeah, and it's this tall. Right in the tall part, that's where you're like, you are messed up. <laughs> but here, they measure the height. Let's think about this. Is it a pyramid or is it a cube? If you were to go and look at commentators and discussions, that's pretty much the two options with this. I think it's more naturally understood as a cube for two reasons. One, just the natural movement of the grammar. But secondly, also verse 11 talks about how this contains the glory of God. And, and when you hear about that, the glory of God residing in a place, you just have to go back to the Old Testament. And 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 20 tells us that Solomon's temple, the Holy of Holies, was a cube shape. 
So I'm, I'm going to, just so you know, I don't know for sure, but that's where I'm going. I think this is a cube shape. This new holy Jerusalem city comprises a particular shape. It has space and a shape. And we're also told up in verse 11 that it's seen, and when it's seen, it's like clear as crystal. Kind of like you can see through the whole thing. So in here, the, the text is talking about this, this like ginormous crystal clear cube. Hun, could you hand that to me? You can see one on the screen here, and I want to work off of this a little bit. Uh, this is a clear cube that's 12 inches by 12 inches by 12 inches here, and we're given some dimensions, so l- let's play with them. Doug, I'm kind of a little weirded out by us talking about dimensions like this, and my response is, why? God gave them. And why would God give them other than not to help us think? And, and imagine, and ultimately, hear me again, it's not about the space It's about the one who owns the space. But the one who owns the space tells us about his space. It's kind of like, hey, can I tell you about my home? I think actually the one who owns this home is like really cranked up about his eternity home. Okay, so he's like, hey, you want some hope? Especially after you've just been through Revelation chapter 6 through 19 and all that war stuff. Let me give you some hope. Let me tell you about the eternal home. So here we go. He tells us about this. He tells us that it's a cube. He tells us that it's a, in the shape of it, that it's, let's see, I'm catching up here in my notes here. Okay, it's 12,000 by 12,000 stadium. That's a furlong. It normally would be viewed as an eighth of a Roman mile. There's some different distances with that. Is a furlong actually back then 600 feet or 625 feet is a mile and so forth. Okay, we're going to take 625 feet. We're just working to get a picture here. 625 feet, uh, 5,280 feet in a mile. So that means that in this, this is somewhere between, uh, would be calculated somewhere between 1,380 miles and 1,500 miles. I'm going to grab 1,400 miles. Uh, so it's 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles. It's laid out as a four square. And in this cube, it has 1,400 miles of, uh, of width and 1,400, let's go ahead to the next one, 1,400 miles of width and uh, also 1,400 miles of depth in this uh, of it. And uh, how big is that? Because it's like 1,400 miles, I don't know what to do with that. It's about this big. Uh, we can see here, it's about this big. So it goes from the U.S.-Canada border about down to almost the tip of Texas. It goes from the eastern border of Indiana out to the western border of Utah. And there's two responses to that. One response is to go, oh my word, that's huge. Another response to go to that is, how is everyone going to fit there? That's actually a good question. Don't forget, this has height. 1,400 miles of height. Now, I'm, I'm fully, I'm just fully imagining here. Okay, this is sanctified imagination that we're entering in here. Okay? So, here's, here's the thing. An airliner flies at about 35,000 feet. Okay, that's pretty tall. In fact, you can see it, if you can see through there. Uh, and a 12 by 12 proportion this out, I, I do have geekiness in me. That, that's, that's right about a half of an inch. 
Okay, now, now the space station, the International Space Station, flies anywhere from 190 miles to 330 miles above ground. Uh, we're going to take the average of that as 260 miles. If you were to do that, it's about two and a quarter miles. So right about there to where the space station goes. This thing like shoots out a long way. If you were to take the 30,000 foot, because I'm like, I'm good with a ceiling of 30,000 feet because I can still fly and so forth with that. And so in that, 30,000 feet above, what if we were to break this into layers just to get an understanding? And if we were to break this into 30,000 square foot layers, it would result in 242 layers. That's 2 million square miles per layer, by the way. Two million square miles per layer, if you total all of those layers up, no, I'm not saying this is how heaven is shaped or in the inside, but for a picture, if you were to take all of that space, you would end up with 475 million square miles. Now, the actual land surface on the earth as we presently know it is 57 million square miles. This is 475 million square miles. If you were to make the entire earth land, no sea, all livable land, uh, it would have 197 million square miles. That means that this cube that's being talked about, if it is in that shape, in that kind of a way, would be two and a half earth surfaces, full earth surface. Let's just say this, there's plenty of space. Okay? There's, there's plenty of space. Uh, if there are layers in this whole thing. Now, another way to do that is kind of for us country Indiana folk who are like, um, I want to know how much space I have. Uh, <laughs> by the way, remember this is an eternity. There's no sin. There's no people annoying. This is perfect. But just in case you're wondering, cubic space, it kind of depends on where you go and how many people you think are going to be in the eternal heaven. If you go with the Mark chapter four and the four soils and the four soil being 25% or whatever you go, let's just say this, various ones have just kind of, you know, mind uh, thinking God gave us some things, let's think about it. It could be anywhere from 35 square acres to 75 square acres per person. Point, plenty of space. Okay? By the way, this is just the new city we're talking about. I'm not even going to get into the other this week. Again, friends, I'm just going to say, if you're a little weirded out by this conversation, I would just love it and say, get over it. <laughs> because I kind of want to know where we're going. And being able to have a little of this, I'm telling you, I, I really don't think, you know, the layers and the cubic space and all that. I, but, but listen, God tells us here. So let's, let's keep reading verse 16. Uh, we just, it's length, width, and height. Verse 17. Um, he, he also measured its wall. It has a wall. It's 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. That last term is kind of funky in there. It just basically means uh, we get it. it. It's a human measurement. Just work with it. They work with it. It's not some funkified kind of thing here. It's just there's a measurement here. It's real. We can understand it. 144 cubits is 72 yards for, uh, I don't know if you're like me, it's three quarters of a football field. 
Okay, that's about how uh, is this. But it's interesting. It doesn't tell us height or width or if it's square, if it's 72 by 72 or what. We don't quite know. We do know that we are told in verse 16 that the shape of the wall is square. We do know in verse 17 that 72 yards is associated with it. Here's the question. Is the wall this some kind of wall that encases this actual area of the city? And it could be on there, kind of like is shown around or is this wall separate from that and kind of like goes around it on the outside of that? Uh, I don't know. Because when you think about this and you read through it, though they measure, does it actually have to have a wall kind of space within it? But we are told that it's crystal clear and brilliant. Where is this wall? I don't know. Again, if you were to push me and, and you were to uh, tease me with some dove dark chocolate... I would, I would probably commit myself to saying, I think maybe this is the actual 72-yard thick wall, but, but listen, I'm not holding tight to that. It's just really cool. It's just really cool. By the way, the wall is built of jasper. Look at verse 18. The wall was built of jasper. And we are told... Uh, as well, that while the city was pure gold, it's like clear glass. How can pure gold be like clear glass? Well, because it's a new metallurgy formula. By the way, we can never get to perfect gold now. Who knows? Maybe you get to perfect gold and it becomes clear. Somehow it's goldy clear. But it's pure. It's, we saw that it's light clear glass. By the way, we're told that the city is clear as crystal. Is that the actual outside wall? Or is that the actual inside? Or is it the whole thing? I don't know, but I just want to go there. Verse 19. Foundations. We're told about the foundations. They were mentioned earlier. A little more information here. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with Every kind of jewel. By the way, notice it doesn't say like a jewel. It says every kind of jewel. These are real jewels. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh something, and the twelfth amethyst. Um, actual jewels on a foundation. You know, when we do foundations, we just pour concrete. But these foundations are, are, are jewels, and are they layered? Are they one, then the next, then the next? But, but wait a second. We've been told that these foundations have the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb on them. These foundations are more than just girding something in the ground or whatever. Maybe they do that, maybe they don't, but, but somehow here they have this whole idea of tying us back to Old Testament truth as well in all this. Were these 12 jewels part of the 12 jewels that the priest would wear when he would enter into the Holy of Holies? With the 12 jewels, well, eight of these actually fit the movement of those jewels. Four of them are a bit in question as to whether they're the same or not because he would wear that in. He would be the only one entering into the Holy of Holies and yet that thing would be representing the 12 tribes 
He would be the one going, but representing the 12 tribes and all this. Uh, this is like the, the, the holy city, the, the, so cool. Verse 21, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Either those are really tiny gates or those are really big pearls. I think it's the latter. Each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. By the way, there's conversation about the, you know, what do the 12 foundation jewels mean and what does this pearl thing mean and what does the gold street city stuff mean and trying to grab the symbolism and I just say we have to be so careful with that because honestly, how ultimately do we know? Let me make an observation. Turn to the left chapter 18 and look in verse 15 in chapter 18 here it's talking about the fall of Babylon remember the fall of Babylon and the fire is burning it up and the kings are there and the merchants are there and the shipmasters are there and Babylon is being destroyed look at verse 15 the merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment weeping and mourning aloud and look at look at look at what the merchants say alas alas for the great city. They're talking about the great city of Babylon here. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet. Look, look, look at this. Adorned with gold, with jewels, and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste and all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all who, whose trade is on the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning saying, what city was like the great city? Listen, take the chapters out, take the verse marks out, read this on through, and what you've been finding is all of this war going on, then it moves into this conversation with Babylon. They are now seeing the city of Babylon, the greatest city ever, and it's going down, and it has gold and jewels and pearls. Go a couple pages, and God's place has far superior gold. And jewels as its foundation. And pearls that are ginormous as its gates. Listen, I think in this, if you follow it on through and see the movement of this, God is just picking up from the story that has been told and he's saying, now look at my great city. And you think that that great city was great? That ain't nothing until you see my great city. And friends, that matters now because our world and our own hearts just have this way of calling us and telling us that the things of this world are awesome. And they're all imitations, they're all little imitations. 
of something that's grandiose. I don't know about you, but I want to go to that place. Wherever its wall is. Let's just read the last paragraph and we'll finish. Verse 22, and I saw no temple in the city. Why? For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By the way, if you're just trying to think and picture this, it doesn't actually say there's no sun or moon. It just says no need of sun or moon. Will we be able to see the galaxies all anew? I don't know. Verse 24, by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day. Open pearls. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does, not, who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's a number of things there in the last paragraph I could talk about, but I'm going to hold till next Sunday. We're going to go into the beginning of chapter 22. I just want to finish with this. This is the new eternal with place. And may I remind us at this time of the year, Matthew 1.23 says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's always been God's intent. And it will be in its full fruition one day. Friends, the Bethlehem place matters. And the future eternal new city place, it matters. And I think as we increasingly grab a hold, grab a hold this Christmas of more and more of the manger and the city of David and the Bethlehem place and all that, and to grab a hold of that and also grab a hold of what is coming, the place that is coming, in. grab a hold of that. And as we grab a hold of that, we don't get enamored with things of places. We get enamored with the one of those places. Get enamored more and more with Jesus Christ. That's what these places are ultimately about for his glory. And knowing those places, knowing the owner of those places, it changes everything. And by the way, when we know that, when we see that increasingly so, it renews lives, it renews relationships, it even gives purpose and meaning and direction. As to what happens living in this now place war zone when chaos hits beyond comprehension, knowing the owner of this place changes everything. Please listen to this story. 